Hi, I'm Patrick Pond, CEO and founder of Favro, and this is the Learn From Leaders podcast. The background to this show is that Favro customers are some of the most innovative companies in the world. Enterprises wanting to be more agile, software as a service companies scaling fast, and game developers and publishers wanting to master live ops. So we get to know some truly inspiring leaders in product development, marketing, operations, sales, executive management. And what we do here is that we interview them about leadership so we can all learn from them. Let's go. And we are live with uh, Matt at uh, Noodle House. You know, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. It's going to be interesting. You know, we're going to talk about the, the future of, uh, of marketing in the, in the game industry. But, uh, you know, before we jump into that, just, I think there's a few other things we need to talk about. We need to t- talk about the past. But, you know, even before that, uh, we need to, you know, get to know you a little bit better, you know, for the ones who doesn't already know you. It's kind of a, you know, weird thing to say here because there's so many people I know that know you. So I'm guessing that many, you know, in the audience, they, they'll be like, yeah, yeah, you know, I know that. But, uh, but, but there are going to be people in the audience that, that doesn't know you. So, I mean, you know, what's the, what's the origin story here that, you know, led up to today? Sure. Well, I, I went to school for advertising and design back in the nineties and I'd always been enthralled with video games and technology and computers and, and whatnot. But I'd have to say I came to the gaming industry a little late in my career. So I was, you know, uh, established as an advertiser designer, you know, working with, with brands and branding movies, entertainment properties, things like that was kind of where I started. But then I landed at a little company called Activision and I learned a lot about video games there. And I learned that there's a lot of people who have been making games since, you know, since they could possibly get a job doing it. And I had a lot of catching up to do. So it was kind of a culture shock. Oh, I love video games. Yeah, I could do this. And then you meet the guy who's been doing it for 25 years longer than you, you know, it's like, it's always a fun moment. And so I've been in the industry now for a while, uh, probably, you know, over 20 years. Uh, and my focus has always been marketing and creative. I was actually a creative director in a few video games, in two video games, but devs, the dev side is uh, something I gained a lot of respect for during those two years or three years that I did it. And I went back to the marketing side because, uh, of, I don't know, opportunities, you know, people that I knew and things like that. And, uh, soon after I founded a couple different agencies, Noodle House has been around for 15 years now. That's been my baby. And that's been the, the most successful venture in, as far as creative studio, sporting game marketing, um, that's been. Uh, just a, a wonderful ride. And uh, we've been lucky enough to work on some of the biggest titles in the world. So you probably know that we work on Fortnite. We've been their agency since the very first trailer that ever launched Fortnite. And we continue to work with them today, making thousands of videos. I think we'll talk a little bit more about that. You know, it's, the industry has changed a bit. We used to make a couple trailers, but now it is literally thousands of videos that need to be made to support a big title like that. So that catches up, catches us up to uh, current. Currently we're, we're doing work in the video space. That's where we focus. Um, everyone's also will ask us to do a logo or a website or something like that. And we, we tend to shy away from those as one-offs because we're focused so much on video deliveries. 
Uh, but as part of a bigger package, we can do that. So cool. And, um, I mean, you know, talking about, you know, today, I mean, it, it's also interesting, you know, you mentioned that, you know, you mentioned one customer you have that you've been a very long time with, but I, if I'm not mistaken, it's actually almost like a bit of a thing with you that you, you tend to have pretty long relationships with your customers. Like, I guess that's a very good thing, you know, when they come back for more. Well, yeah, I don't, I don't think we could make our way without relationships. You know, there's, it's so important and it also makes it really important that you do good work, that you do what you're going to say when you say you're going to do it and you deliver, you know, the longest standing client that I have right now just so happens to be sitting in that position. But I have worked with that same manager, that same marketing person through four different companies. So as they got promotions or they've got new job offers or they moved from one to the next, they called me back and said, hey, now I'm here, now help me over here. So those relationships are absolutely critical, you know, and it's really fun watching people and growing with them, you know, so you could have a manager that started as a junior, you know, right out of college brand manager or something like that. And, you know, 10 years later, they're, you know, VP or, you know, executive level of a marketing division and it's, and you've been with them the whole time and you have some trust and you have some shorthand you can work with too. So let's get into, I mean, I, I would love to hear your take on, you know, kind of the, you know, let's say the, the, you know, the Delta between if you go back a couple of years and, and today, so, you know, before we start talking about the future, just, just kind of, you know, what is, you know, it might, might actually be easier to talk about, you know, the, the, the past you know, by, by anchoring it in, in kind of right now. So, you know, you know, what is the, let's say the current state of, of marketing in the game industry, you know, you know, what are the things that works? What are the things that doesn't work? You know, what are the things that, you know, make you successful and, uh, you know, you, you know, you get right, but, but if you can walk, you know, walk us through all of these things and, and kind of contrasting it to it used to be, you know, you're like, you know, you know, what, what changed, you know? Yeah, sure. Yeah. That I, I think the funniest thing is the thing that scared us the most in the 90s and early 2000s was data. Uh, creatives love to be creative. They love to have a gut feeling and they love to make something really wonderful that makes the whole room laugh out loud. And then you put, you know, you put that out there on your, you know, on your broadcast television, you know, purchases, you know, purchase ads that way. Back in the day, we used to put our ads in movie theaters. We used to put our ads um, on our own websites. And of course, YouTube, uh, this was before Twitch and before Discord and, you know, all of the social connectivity that we have today. I'd say when data was brought up, oh, we should test this. You know, we should put this uh, ad, this rough cut of this ad in front of a group of, of gamers who know what they like. And all the creatives would wince. They would, oh, God, no, like, we don't want to, you know, because we love this, you know. Contrast that with today, we have a live feedback loop almost every second, right? We have so much data. We have so much feedback. We know what's working immediately. And, and we're still testing the waters because honestly, if, if someone had a playbook, if someone figured it out, we'd all be doing it the same way, right? But we are still seeing a different approach for a different product every time. So you have a casual mobile game uh, or even a hardcore mobile game and you you create a hugely expensive, wonderfully produced trailer, and it barely lifts your numbers at all because you have that instant read. You know, you know exactly what when it airs and how to collect that data. 
And we didn't used to be able to do that. We used to think this is a great campaign and maybe we'll win some advertising awards. And of course the game will do well, right? We have found surprising things in the last five to 10 years where the best ads barely do anything. You know, that advertising is always good. I'm always going to say that. Uh, but sometimes you find a little one-off social asset that you didn't put a lot of attention to, but it was really authentic and it had the right person and the right message. All of a sudden that's popping an extra 5% and you go, oh my goodness, we, we could do 20 of these for the cost of the one we just did. And then you try that and you see it notching up again and you realize, oh, that's what my market really responds to. We didn't mm -hmm. have those tools back in the day. We would have lots of dollars, and lots of media buys and lots of everything pouring into Oh God, like we did outdoor ads. We did vanity websites, you know, for every single game we, you know, we would put bus benches and rat buses and do everything you could possibly do to get your message out there. And, uh, nowadays I think we have this great feedback loop and all the data we ever need and almost like an instant reaction to see this ad works. Uh, and if it's, if you want to test it, you know, how difficult is it to make a version of that that's slightly different, maybe a different ending or a different, you know, tagline or something like that. And you can actually see if you can increase it 1% at a time if you want to play in that arena, right? So I think it's hugely advantageous. Uh, and it's also uh, possible to run down that rabbit hole so deep that you've found yourself producing thousands of videos again for something and not even know how you got there really. So it's kind of fun. I'll, uh, I'll ask you a tough one. You know, if, if we go back, uh, you know, 10 years and we would have had this conversation then, and I would, you know, 10 years ago, I would have asked you, Hey, what do you think is going to be the future marketing in 10 years, you know, today, you know, what, what did you think then? And, you know, I mean, honestly, <laughs> and, and, uh, so you have to be honest and, and, you know, what are those things, you know, where you write about and what are those things where you know, miss. Yeah, I'll, I'll be, I'll be a hundred percent honest with you. I was, um, I was one of the last of my peers that I know of to embrace the influencer culture. And that was probably 10 years ago, right? Where there was just the beginning of, of homemade content, fan films, you know, things like that, which all had a certain like threat to those of us who have, you know, like we perceive ourselves as we're, we're sitting in this position for a reason, you know, we earn this job, we earn the right to make these, you know, creative decisions and, and create strategies around what we're going to do. And then these, these kids, right. These, you know, they could be amazing filmmakers, but they're doing it on their own dime. You know, they're doing it in their own, you know, uh, streaming room or whatever they had. Um, and it just felt like an infiltration. And so I would, 10 years ago, that was the, the biggest concern that I had is, is this where marketing is going? Is it all going to be user generated or is it all, are we going to have a place in this conversation anymore? Are they taking it away from us? Right. Uh, I'm happy to say that we are still hugely part of the conversation. Uh, and in fact, bringing influencers in and, and working directly with them has been a huge success. Of course, with anything, I've always been against, not against, but I've always been careful about endorsements, you know, athletes, actors, you know, any, any notable talent that 
becomes part of your brand. Mostly and only because the, uh, the liability, you know, you never know who's going to get in trouble. You never know who's going to behave well or who's not, who's not going to behave well. And so I always like to try and maintain as much control over our messaging and, and, and mature, you know, and, and a mature brand so that we don't lose something to a, I mean, you've seen the scandals, right? So, so-and-so does one wrong thing on a stream and all of a sudden they're kicked off of their platform. And what if that person was the, the, the face of your brand because you put all your money or all your eggs in that basket. So that's the kind of stuff I wasn't afraid, afraid of back then. I'm happy to say that we've kind of found a good balance and, and you know, the content creators and the marketing side of the business, and we are all working together really well. Um, let, let me, let me follow up on that a little bit. It's very interesting. You know, how, how, what would be a good, and, and I'm, I'm going to ask, I mean, you know, many, I mean, many, as you know, many, many favorite customers are, are really, you know, big uh, studios and publishers, but you know, there's also, you know, many, you know, venture backed, you know, relatively, you know, new studios, you know, and, and obviously it's going to be limited, you know, resources. So if you want to go this route, there's obviously a limitation to how much of a portfolio you can have with influencers, right? So what, what would be kind of your advice on, on, on a good approach there, you know, with, with, with limited resources as a, as a game startup? Yeah, that's a, that's a difficult one. I, I have to start by saying I'm probably not qualified to, to give you the best answer, but my perception from where I sit, you know, in that, that the market of content creators has matured, right? And it's, it's no longer an easy phone call to call the influencer or an email directly to the influencer. You're usually going to get to their manager or their agent and and, and they become savvy on how much value there really is in the audience that you're asking them for. So we're talking about real money now. We weren't always, we, we used to do things like, uh, you know, basically you'd get coverage for free. Uh, you still do get coverage for free, but you know, there was a little bit more of a, of a wild west approach to influencers 10 years ago. And. If you're going to be spending that kind of money, or if you're going to be laying out a significant part of your marketing budget to get the influencer to mention your brand, play, you know, or play your game or review or anything like that, my advice is make sure they love your game. Make sure that's right for them. Make sure it's the thing that their fans know that they're going to like, because they're going to get sniffed out so quickly if it's an endorsement that's been paid and, and they don't typically play that kind of game. They don't typically say what they're saying, you know, that kind of thing. So I always look for authenticity and the right match for the right brand. And if you can't find an influencer that loves your kind of game, then maybe that's not the right tactic for your marketing campaign. So, so if I can spin on that, um, if I, if I think a little bit more, you know, generally, you know, the conversation around influencers, you know, there's a lot of talk about you know, micro-influencers or you know, even you know, non-influencers now, and you know, there are various platforms popping up. Um, you know, what's, what's your view on that, uh, you know, in the game industry now? And this is maybe we can start venture a little bit into the future. You know, where do you think this is going with influencers? Yeah, I think it's, it's definitely changed our approach to, you know, how much content we can, we should generate, how much content, you know, is on our, in our. Uh, on our plate, so to speak, per campaign, and then who can help us generate more and where the audience is. For me, it's always just 
got it. It's, it has to be an audience and a numbers game. It has to be a personality fit. You know, what I love seeing is when there's a great match, you know, where let's say, I mean, I mean, great fit, not a great match. Cause we're talking about gaming. I don't want to use the word match, <laughs> but um, it's a great fit between your, you know, when it's a great fit between your influencer and your brand, things really click. So if you're, if you know that a particular influencer is easily startled at, but they love horror and you're making a horror game, beautiful, right? You know, that the, the performance is going to be there. You know, that the authenticity is going to be there and also the audience will fit. Um, so that, so that fit is there. I think, um, I would be leery. I'd be careful with, you know, a spray and pray approach of let's get a bunch of lesser known, let's say five to 10 lesser known influencers who might be a good fit, but their audience isn't quite that big and, and that kind of stuff. I just, uh, I just, I would rather find the perfect fit and, you know, and use it as a, as a media, like when we used to do a, like a broadcast television purchase, you know, who's watching, when are they watching and how much does it cost? And you'd get your, you know, you know, you get your metrics, you'd understand how much it's going to cost you to reach that audience. And then you'd make that determination at that point. I think with, with this, um, idea of micro influencers or, or smaller wider spread campaigns over an influencer, a group of influencers. I don't think you're going to be able to measure as easily. You're not going to be able to get the right audience every single time. It's just my opinion. So let's continue on the, the path here of the future. So, um, you know, let, let's do some, uh, some trend uh, spotting here. Um, <laughs> you know, where are, where are things going? You know, what are, you know, what are, you know, trends that you see you know, pick up speed, you know, now that you think will be stronger in the future, you know, maybe some novel new, um, things, you know, happening that we can do in the future. I mean, obviously I'm going to have to ask you about AI, but you know, we're getting there. Let's, let's, uh, let's save that for a little bit later in the conversation, but sure, uh, I yeah, you know, what, what, what are some, some trends that you see are, you know, picking up speed? Yeah, I didn't, I didn't want to say it, but I'm an AI, like I've been AI this whole interview. It's just, it's easier for me to get this stuff done. Right. So, <laughs> I mean, are we really talking to each other? I don't know. So, uh, yeah, the future, like, that's such a funny question. Um, or, or it's not funny and weird. We're always looking for that, aren't we? Like, we always want to try and be ahead of it and, and kind of, uh, have our own crystal ball be nice. I, I think you've got a really interesting dynamic in the whole network of making games, playing games, talking about them, advertising for them. And when I mean talking, it could be anything like a, you know, like a, a podcast or a, you know, or a stream or, or even just a discord server. We have this ability to be connected at all times. Uh, we have this unfortunate situation. Well, not unfortunate, but let's pretend, let's go back 15, 20 years ago. You had a game that you thought might get, I don't know, like a 70 Metacritic score or something. It's not going to be a AAA title, but you want to, you want to upside it as best possible. So you start crunching the numbers. What if I throw more media at it early and I get, you know, a lot of people to play it within the first few weeks before everyone talks to their friends. And, you know, that's a strategy, right? Because you know, it's going to be a peak and then a drop off just because of the, the, the statistics you're seeing. Now we have 
this instant, always on communication channel with players. And so what we're seeing as marketing is that as, as you know, market professionals is that we are simply getting to the result faster. And so we need to be ready as game makers and partners of our game makers and studios as, you know, if you're a publisher or if you're a marketing agency or, or if you're part of the studio and you're the social team, all of that has to be kind of pre queued up. I think the most success I've seen in the past five years has been a game that is ready for the service level that the customers are going to demand. So let's nerf this gun. Let's put new features in. Let's take this thing out because it's breaking the gameplay. You know, nobody likes X, Y, and Z. So let's tune it up. And so what does that mean? It's like a, it's a cycle uh, and it's a complete partnership with everyone, you know, ready to go at any moment, because you're going to find out that you can make a lot of noise. You can turn on your megaphone with your marketing machine and you can get that message out there. You can get the attention of everybody of every player that you need to get the attention of, they will try it. They will play it. They might drop it right after, or they might stick with it. And, and you want to try to figure out what you can do immediately to make that sticky factor happen better and better and better. So that success level is always the studios that have the manpower and the plan to constantly drive new content every week and change. Here's another patch. Let's say, you know, we're going to nerf the rocket launcher or whatever we're going to do because, you know, no one likes, you know, I think we were just talking about it yesterday. Dragon's breath, you know, or, you know, dragon's breath shotgun is overpowered. Let's, let's nerf it, you know, and, and then message that again. So you start your cycle over again, right? So you can have that conversation within your, not conversation, but you can have that feedback loop working really well within the organization, marketing, production, marketing, production, and make sure that you're in sync. And that as the future of gaming is hugely powerful. The problem with that is it's just going to widen this gap that I keep seeing. You have your AAA titles over here. You have, you know, Spider-Man and Call of Duty and, you know, the, you know, Assassin's Creed, even the big titles are outspending and outproducing every other wonderfully great title that just you know went maybe a little more indie they didn't they didn't get into a big publishing deal or, or something like that and so their community is ravenous for more content but they can't keep up with it you know so that's where i think we're gonna we're gonna see a great benefit to some of the big players but we also might see this gap widening up between the rich and the poor you know the indie and the and the triple a so I think I'd love to see a way of closing the distance and keeping that machine running. I mean, that, no, that's interesting. I, I, I kind of seen the same thing, but from a very different angle, you know, from, from our angle, you know, you know organizational productivity to where, you know, going from very, you know, the classic, you know, you know, big monolithic, you know, release, you know, where the relationship, you know, between, you know, making the game and, and marketing is very, very, you know, linear waterfall you know, kind of style uh, versus now it's much more of a, of a, of a cycle and, and, you know, very, very iterative, you know, very, very short iterations and, and where it suddenly matters much more that, you know, how do we, how does communication between, you know, between product and marketing operations, community management, everything. I mean, that, that whole cycle just spins very, very fast, you know, you know, weekly, you know, even faster. And, and, and that puts a lot of, um, uh, strain on, on how you organize yourself. I mean, 
I'm obviously blowing our own trumpet a little bit here now, but it, it, you know, if you're trying to do that in a very traditional, you know, part management sense, it's not going to work that well. Uh, you know, try to, you know, micromanage you know, the shit out of it versus if you have, if you have, you know, if you have a very, you know, you know, well gelled, you know, gelled, you know, team collaboration that, that's able to do this as kind of a, you know, basically this, this kind of machine that, that, that goes, you know, without, you know, it's more of a flow. Um, it's just so much, so much better. I think you just helped me formulate the great sales argument because I like what you said about that gap. So, you know, when you have a, you know, you know, studio publisher that doesn't have the resources of one of the big, I mean, then you have to make, you know, more with less, you know, to try to close that gap. I mean, that, that's your, your road to, to close that gap. And then you need to look at whatever you can. But to, to slide out also, it doesn't sound like I'm blowing the, the favorite trumpet too much here. I mean, another way to achieve that would, of course, be, you know, with the help of AI, um, you know, what will be, what, what's your, um, you know, what, what, what's your take on, on, on that right now? Yeah, my, um, that, that's maybe I, I don't, I, no, no preparation at all. I don't really have a, an opinion or, a, or, a, you know, or any idea that this would top, this topic would even come up, but, um, you know. I'm super excited when new technology is available, you know, and it speeds our, our abilities, like it enhances our abilities, it gets us to, you know, delivering something quicker, you know, total offhanded, you know, we, uh, I took a few photos in one of my last trips and I like this one photo is just on my phone, but I downloaded it and put it into Photoshop and there was all these extra people in the photo and I just circled them and told AI to take them out. And it was miraculous, you know, that used to be a lot, a lot longer. So I can imagine us, um, speeding the workflow, you know, being able to do things a little faster, being able to respond a little better to needs, let's say something needs to be changed and AI can help us do it. I'm all for it. I think the fear is like everybody's fear is, does it change us so much that it then, um, you know, keeps humans from even entering the workforce anymore? You know, oh, this is, this particular role has been taken over by AI entirely, um, or that changes it so much that instead of being an artist, you are a prompt writer or, or something like that. And, and I think that is a little scary. I, I don't think that. You know, I think the jury's still out. I don't think we know where it's going to go or where it's going to lead. I do have a lot of faith in humankind. We're very innovative. You know, we we know where uh, where opportunities are. There's always somebody who's going to come up with some kind of unique, you know, and lucrative, you know, part of the puzzle that we don't see yet. And you know, I played with it, but it's not my uh, it's not my expertise. You know. No, but I mean, you know, what I, you know, what, what I, what, you know, if I, if I think a little bit about this myself and, you know, try to put myself into your shoes, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, uh, you know, expect that, you know, the, um, you know, the, 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 the top expert at utilizing this at a company, you know, would necessarily be you, but I would be thinking that, you know, maybe this is affecting, you know, what kind of people, you know, you are hiring, you know, maybe it has that effect already now. You know, maybe, maybe this is something that comes up in your team, you know, it's, you know, you know, how is that, um, has it already affected, I mean, you know, you from like a leadership position, um, has, has it affected kind of like, you know, how you build your team or, or how you have to lead your team because, you know, the team are coming to you with all these things they want to do, you know, that you have to have an opinion about. 
Yeah, no, I think it's it's funny. And I think it's more the second part of your question that that's that fits my scenario. The the premise of saying I'm gonna restaff and I'm gonna I, I need uh an AI team. I need a manager, I need some prompt people, I need some programmers or whatever I need to um to make that happen is is definitely not my um my philosophy on, you know, and how I bring a team to a project or how I, how I build a team at the company. My philosophy is we hire really smart, really great people. And if they need to learn a new skill, they're going to be able to, you know, so especially in something like this, it fits, you know, the, if you have the right people at the right place and they're, you know, and they're asked to look into something, they're going to tell you pretty quickly, this is doable with the people we have, or we need to hire three more people that have this expertise. And I would trust them to do that. So as opposed to like diving headlong into it and, and creating an AI division, I'm still on the sidelines. I'm still waiting to see where it goes. Um, I do think there's amazing things that we've had, you know, cause we're a creative studio. We have a lot of discussions about, well, what if we made something like this and that has come up with, you know, new campaigns that we're pitching to clients and that kind of stuff where we say, should we, you know, what if there was an idea that AI was perfect for, you know, and what if, what if we could animate the, you know, gen generate an entire animation with AI and we have samples of that. There's, uh, there's a few, you know, TV shows that have, you know, run title sequences that are all animated with AI and things like that. And and then you have artists that I respect and have known for 20 years saying, oh, don't use that crap. <laughs> like we can tell every time, you know, like it's just not, you know, it's not quite there yet, but there are some really brilliant artists who are using it to augment and enhance an idea that they had. And that's where I love seeing it. It's like, let's not let the tools force us into a direction. Let's use the tools in the direction we're going, right? And that's where I want it to be. And of course, I think with anything, you know, as soon as, as soon as in industries bring robots in to assemble and rivet things and, you know, in a manufacturing sense, you know, you, you tend to lose a few jobs along the way. The, the hope is that those jobs are replaced with higher paid, more specialized technicians that, you know, need to manage that stuff. And, uh, you know, and then of course there's the utopian dream that we've all heard about and read about in all of the books and science fiction and all that stuff where, oh, we're so good at this. We don't have to work anymore. We just sit in the ivory tower and, and sip beverages that robots do all the work for us. I don't think we're going to get there either. So <laughs> I want to ask a final question because you kind of came back a little bit to the whole, you know, the relationship, you know, between you and, and, you know, your, your customer. Um, and, and what we talked about before with, you know, that, that kind of, you know, cycle spinning much faster now, uh, how does that affect you? I mean, are you, are you fully embedded typically in that kind of fast spinning cycle or, or, you know, how, how is typically your relation? So if you have a, you know, a live service and, and things are spinning very, very fast, are you, are you hundred percent part of that spinning or, or is it, are you kind of like a comet, you know, inter interlooping, you know, that cycle, you know, from time to time or not, how, how does a relationship like this typically work? 
Yeah, it's, it's a great question. I'm, I'm actually surprised that the answer that came to mind, right, is that when when I worked 15 years ago, you know, maybe longer, when we had game studios in like a green light kind of process where they were just showing the early part of the video game and then the creatives who were managing the marketing and and the, the execution of the marketing would ask can't we just get in there a little earlier can't we can't we be there when the character development is happening and the world is being built and and the backstory is all right there in front of us because you know we're frustrated because by the time we get our assignment we have you know, a month or two to make an ad for this thing that launches on a date that's not going to move. And we have to do a lot of catch up and, and all that. And, um, to be honest, we would, we, we all would know that that's a blessing and a curse, like adding more people to the process, more questions. It could slow things down. It could be confusing. I have a great case study in my, I've never written this case study, but it's a story I tell all the time where we spent months building an ad where the characters were flying across and shooting down and, you know, destroying their enemies. And we were close to the final. We showed it to the studio. Um, and this is all internal, by the way. This is not, but it was just a, a wonderful moment. We we show the ad and the producer, the head producer of the, of the on the studio side, kind of raises his hand timidly in this meeting after we show the ad. And he goes, um, we took the flying part out so like the whole premise of the marketing plan was fly and kill and all this and they took it out but they did forgot to tell marketing or they forgot to tell you know everybody else and so there's the there is kind of a neat idea like and and we have been embedded but only because there's so much happening and so frequently that having you know we've sent maybe a team of five to go and live in you know the client's headquarters they you know they basically lived there. They would report, they had their own badges and they would come in and out just like a regular workers, uh, just because that at that time, the client didn't have, um, bandwidth. They just, they were full up and they needed, they just needed to produce a lot of content. And so they hired, it was a fast way of, of adding horsepower to that production engine. I'd say more often than not, I prefer to be just outside the tornado of feature just redesigns and and you know locking down the game finishing the games and and getting all that done uh and and trying to level ourselves to a like more of a bird's eye perspective of like what is the whole promise of this product you know like if you took you know like um i'm gonna people are gonna laugh at me when you when you watch this but I'll, let's say i it was a star wars thing okay so what is the what is the overarching premise of like well, it's, I don't know, using your force powers, fighting good against evil and maybe tipping, you know, you dip your, you know, you dip yourself and you end up on the dark side, you know? So there's these big overarching themes that can happen in a universe that don't necessarily rely on what color your lightsaber is, right? So that could keep changing in the game design, the costumes and characters could keep changing and we keep the messaging on point, but we don't need to get into the, the details. So just to answer your question, we have been embedded because of just the sheer quantity of assets that are required uh, or the speed. Um, and we also kind of appreciate being one step removed from the all of the backstory and conversations about what was almost there 
and didn't make it versus what actually is there and what the players are going to experience because they're not going to know all the stories that developers you know and studio knows they're just going to react to what the final product is so we're kind of a good you know sounding board right at the right moment when you think you're ready to launch your you know brief your agencies and and bring in you know marketing and start launching that that effort because we will raise our hands and go, well, well, what do you mean they fly? Like, how does that work? Like, that might be a question that was answered 16 months ago and everybody's totally comfortable with it at the studio, but we need to explain it to players, you know, in a way that they understand. And so that sounding board, I think is, and, and just enough distance is, is perfect. So, yeah. All right, cool. Uh, this has been a great uh, conversation. I, um, you know, I, I, I learned a lot and, um, I think it's, uh, I mean, just, you know, I, I have firsthand, you know, from, from our, you know, customer seeing that, you know, the, you know, how things are changing with, you know, we're not just, you know, how to, um, you know, to, to, to make games, but also how to market them and, and, and all the various collaborations that happen within that, that, you know, that is a, that is a moving thing that, you know, it is changing and anything which is changing, I think is, uh, is quite interesting. So uh, thank you so much for, for being on the show. Thank you. And to the audience, see you in the next one. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. If you did, you know what to do. Share it in your social media so more people can take part and learn. And one more thing, check out Favro Academy on favro.com for many more learnings. Thanks for tuning in.